Did anyone here uh, today get mad at someone else this week? Did anyone, anyone here get mad at someone else this week? Honey, I told you not to put your hand up. Um, okay, you, the rest of you are lying. Um, but you, you probably got mad at someone, and in that moment, that person was in, that was your mortal enemy. That was your opponent. Um, no matter whether you were, you know, in traffic, which that often happens then, or you were fighting with your spouse or a friend, or you got into a squabble with somebody in, in, in a parking lot, um, you got mad and you saw that person as your enemy. However, whatever happened to you this week was not as nearly as dramatic as what happened to Joseph. Uh, we just heard from a Genesis reading, we hear about this guy named Joseph uh, telling this group of men that um, he's their brother. Okay, so what's the backstory there? Well, Joseph um, was uh, one of the 12 sons of Jacob who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph, uh, he was a young whippersnapper, and he had some visions and dreams um, in which he went to his brothers and said, hey, I saw this vision and um, I was, you, you all like were kneeling down to me. I don't know what was to make of it. And so his brothers, of course, got extremely angry about that. And uh, their first thought was, we're just going to shank him and make him disappear. And then they thought, no, 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 we won't go that far, but we will. Um, we're going to throw him into a pit and just kind of see what happens. Well, then what happens is, um, for those of you who know the story, he gets sold into slavery. Um, they, they, his, his own brothers sell him as a slave, and he is taken into the land of Egypt as a slave. That's that's worse than whatever ha- whatever happened to you and I this week. And um, here's how the story goes. Joseph goes into Egypt, and he's the oppressed one. And what happens is that God is at work in Joseph's life. He's a man of virtue. He's a man of godliness. And God actually uses Joseph, and he raises him up to an exalted position in Egypt after he goes through a number of other trials. He gets falsely accused of crimes. He goes to jail and spends time in jail. He then finally um, is able, by his ability to interpret the king's dreams, to be put into a place of royalty. And he serves and has power under the Pharaoh, the king, over all of Egypt. Because that uh, was God's redemptive purposes for him. And so we're kind of at the end of the story this morning in Genesis. And what's happening is that there's a famine where Joseph's brothers and father live and their father's he's he's old he's very old and what happens is that they say we've got to go to the land of egypt and and plead with them to sell us some some food because things are things are rough and we don't have food because of the famine and so they come and they come to the king's courts and they don't realize they don't recognize their brother and that that he's actually standing in the king's courts as a ruler over the land the lord of all egypt as he puts it and uh, they, they make their appeal for food and so forth. And um, then we come to the scene that we read about this morning. And Joseph says, it's me, Joseph. And it says they were dismayed. They were, they were troubled at his presence. They thought, oh, shoot. <laughs> and he says, no, no, no. It's me. I'm your brother. And, and you did this to me, but you know what? God used this situation and he's actually going to use it to provide for you and to provide for our people back home. And so he sends them with an abundance of food to go back. 
And as a result of Joseph's grace and forgiveness and mercy towards his brothers who did him so much wrong, God's purposes are carried out and the Israelites are sustained and able to carry out the purposes that he had for them to come into the land. So, never underestimate what God might do through the way that you love your enemies. Never underestimate what God might do through the way you love your enemies. Our call as followers of Jesus is to share in our Heavenly Father's heart, which is a heart of enemy love, a heart of enemy love. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. And these famous words on the lips of Jesus we've heard so many times. Let's just dig into this for the next few minutes and ask, what does this mean for us? It says, I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Now, you have to remember the historical context here. Jesus is speaking to a whole bunch of Israelites, a whole bunch of Jews who are living under Roman, the Roman Empire's authority and governance. And, and Jews were extremely ostracized and overtaxed and oppressed by the Roman government. There have been uh, coins found in archaeological digs from this period of time that had engraved on them an image of a Roman soldier standing on a Jewish peasant. And they had to pay those coins back to the government. So, hatred would be an understatement for the way that the Jews felt about the governing authorities in the land, in the Roman Empire, under which they lived. Hatred would be an understatement. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, here's how it's going to be. You're going to love and bless and pray and forgive. Notice that these are all active verbs. You know, Jesus, he doesn't say, you know what? You just got to kind of avoid your enemies. Just leave them alone. Stay out of their hair and they won't mess with you. Instead, he gives them a command to actively love their victimizers and their oppressors. Extremely extremely countercultural. He says, actually, specifically, he says, here's what this might look like. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, a Roman soldier, perhaps, or centurion, just because he's having a bad day, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Now, What's the deal here? Is this just that Jesus wants his followers to be doormats or he thinks it would be cool to have a bunch of his followers walking around all bruised up in the face and naked because they gave their garments away to someone who asked for them? No, there's something so much deeper at play here. What Jesus is telling his followers is he says, you are not to draw your behavior standards from those who victimize you. You are not to follow their tit for tat approach to human relationships because the kingdom of God works much differently, much differently than that. Now, to beat a dead horse, let me just read you what one Bible scholar says about the Roman Empire and how it worked. He says, the empire was an intrusive, suffocating web of obligation with the elite in every village, town, city, and region, and of the empire as a whole, given esteem do them in light of their role as benefactors. That's a mouthful and a brainful. But in other words, 
the elite leaders of the empire, desired and demanded much from civilians. Honor, gifts, money, favors. You had to give them something for them to do any kind of act of beneficence to you. You had to scratch their back for them to scratch yours. And you better stay on their good side or God help you. And Jesus says, guess what? Things work differently in the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Because your heavenly father is a different kind of authority. Your heavenly father does not wield his authority like the emperor and all of his minions. Here's what he says a little bit, little bit later in the chapter. Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. See, it's relational. Jesus wants us to have the heart of the heavenly father for our opponents and our enemies. It's very difficult stuff. It's a great idea. And we like the idea and we think it sounds wonderful and philosophically great. And it sounds like a peacemaking thing to do. And it's great until we actually find ourselves in a situation where we actually have to love an enemy. Some friends uh, finally convinced me to read a, a, a novel last year. I've been trying to do more um, fiction reading. And, um, the no- and, I, and it was wonderful. It's a novel called Jaber Crow by a man named Wendell Berry. It's a story about uh, it's told from the first-person perspective about a, a man who uh, ends up living in a small town in rural Kentucky as a barber for pretty much most of his life in the post-World War II years. Very, very beautiful novel. And Jaber, um, that's his nickname, he's a pretty friendly guy and gets along with just about anybody. He's a real gentle spirit. But there's this one guy that he just can't stand. And his name is Troy. And Troy is the opposite of everything shaped with him. Well, one day in the barber shop about uh, people who... Res- I want to read from for, uh, from this scene. Troy is kind of a, a macho man kind of guy. Here's, here's this. And Troy said, they ought to round up and then whoever killed who, it would be to top it. It was enemies. Black and widened his eyes at me. And Troy said, oh. Then he says this. It would have been a great moment in the history of Christianity, except that I did not love Troy. See, we like the idea. <laughs> Of love your enemies. And we, we want to preach that. But living it is much, much more difficult. And so it begs the question, what does it take to get this message of loving your enemies, of Jesus' enemy love, into our bones, into our hearts? What does it take? And I think there's something huge that we see all throughout the New Testament that is helpful here to make this message go from our heads into our hearts. And that is this. You and I have to recognize that we were once the enemy. You and I were once the enemy. We have to say to ourselves, I am that wicked and ungrateful person that Jesus describes who received mercy from the heavenly father. Even when I was lost in in wandering and all my sin and all my shenanigans, the heavenly father was pursuing me in his mercy. I was the enemy who received enemy love. St. Paul was um, making this point to the church in Rome, and I want to read you how he says it. He says it so much better than I can. 
He's writing to the church in Rome in chapter 5, and he says, he's talking about the cross and what, what Jesus did for us. He said, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay. Not, not the people who had all their lives cleaned up and had their religion all straight. Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. And then he says this, but God, but God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. And he goes on and says this, much more surely then, now that we have been saved by his blood, justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. There's no more punishment. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because your sin and my sin have been paid for. By Jesus, And then he says these beautiful words, and it fits so well with what Jesus says today. He says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. Friends, put your hope in that gospel. We will be saved by his life. You see, this is where, this is where the cross begins to merge forward from the background. And it always does. It always does. Because when you look at the cross and you say, he did that for me because I was his enemy. I was the one who, who spat on him and, and mocked him and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Only when that takes a hold of your heart will you be able to see your enemies in a new light. Or falls on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's, it's the center of everything that a God who looks down at the world and sees a, a, a world full of rebel creatures would take pity on them and reach out his hands to them in amnesty and forgiveness and mercy. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you have to be like that. You have to be like that. You have to look at your worst of enemies and love them and pray for them. And go the extra mile for them. Because that's what your heavenly father did for you. You see how the cross penetrates our hearts and reorients our lives. Enables us to have the power to do the impossible. To love the Troys in our life. I hope no one's named Troy here today. Sorry about the bad connotation. You see, Jesus said to his disciples, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he could have just as accurately said that a man lay down his life for his enemies. Father, forgive them. That's the model for us if we want to follow the crucified Messiah. But you see, the difficulty is in this, that we're all conditioned throughout our lives by sources outside of us on how to deal with human relationships, our siblings and our parents and our teachers at school and our culture. And and some of us, probably many of us, grew up being taught, maybe even by our own parents, that we take care of our own. We look out for number one. And if someone does you wrong, you get back and you get the last word. You fight back if someone picks a fight with you. And so we have been conditioned over a lifetime, we have been taught, whether by family or culture or whatever, that we have to defend our egos in our name and our reputation 
And that makes it difficult to embrace what Jesus says about how to deal with enemies. Now, here's the other thing. Why do we always feel that need to get the last word in? Why do we always feel the need to get justice for ourselves? Jesus says, when you're like that, you're demonstrating that you don't actually trust that justice lies in God's hands. When, when, you, when you hold tightly to your possessions and you won't give to those in need, you show that you don't actually trust in the provision of your heavenly father who promises to take care of you. You see how relational all this is. Jesus is interested in people flourishing in their relationships with one another and with their heavenly father. And this is how it works, not in the way that our culture teaches us. Climb to the top, be yourself, follow your heart, do your own thing, no matter what anyone else tells you. It's a way of self-giving love, of being willing to lay down our lives, to give of our possessions, to forgive our worst offenders, and to actively, actively pursue them with love. Now, most of us have been on the other end of this too. We've been the ones who are scorned or rejected or written off because of our own failures. Maybe by an employer or maybe a friend, maybe even by our own parents. And these kind of experiences shape us in ways of which we're not over the, uh, which we're not aware. And over the years, we can come very hardened to the idea of forgiveness or letting go of past hurts because our own runs so deep. And Jesus knows that that's only going to create pain and toxicity in our lives if we hold on to that. And so for the sake of our own good and for the good of the world, he says, it's time to forgive. It's time to let go and trust that your heavenly father has justice in his hands and will provide for you. So here's the thing. If you, 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 you've heard yourself in this word today and you think there's pain in me that I haven't let go and let, let go of yet. There's people in my life that I'm not reconciled with. There's people who just get under my skin like you couldn't believe. Jesus, but you don't understand. <laughs> Troy, uh, it's a different story. No, Jesus says active love, blessing, prayer, and forgiveness towards even those people. And you see if there's this kind of pain in your life, you have to know that the, there is a healing ointment in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because when you see that in the midst of your own failures and sins, that there's a God who loves you and who reaches out his arms to you with mercy and forgiveness, offering you a new life filled with the Holy Spirit, and you take him up on that offer of unconditioned love, then you live your life from a new center. And there's a new peace that flows through you. And you're able to, you see, the, you see, the devil wants to keep people chained up in, in misery and unforgiveness and bitterness. And Jesus says, I come to set you free from that. Let go of it. I want to heal you. And it might be a difficult and painful process initially, but it's going to lead to freedom and inner peace. And a confidence that even if the whole world rejected you, you would be okay because you knew that God loved and accepted you. See, that's what makes it possible. The cross of Jesus, what he did when he died for our sins to make us his own. That's the new life, friends. That's the new life on offer to you today. If you haven't received it, it's a new life on offer to you. If you've wandered away from it and just felt distant from it, the living Jesus has his arms open and says, let me heal. 
Let me, let me show you what enemy love looks like and bless you and forgive you and release you from the things that are holding you back from a life of, of inner peace and joy and flourishing in the Holy Spirit. So here's my invitation to you today. If that's you and you, and you need to, you need to just hand over everything to Jesus for the first time or maybe for the 10th time, as you're coming up today to the communion rail in a few minutes, I want you to just say in your heart to the Lord, Jesus, I accept your invitation to this new life, this life of forgiveness and peace and love for enemies. And I want you to be confident that when you either receive communion or receive a blessing, that the Lord's hand is on you today. Let's pray. Gracious Father, it's only when we stand in awe of your love for us, when we were your enemies rebelling against you, that our hearts can be changed by the gospel and by what your son did on that cross for us. So we ask, Lord, that a spirit of peace would fill our hearts and that you would remind us and bring to the forefront of our minds the sacrifice that was made on our behalf and that there's no more punishment for sins because you have paid that price and we are your children now. Send us out, Lord, into the world to show enemy love and in so doing to bring others into this great thing that we call the church. And we ask, God, that through our actions and our words this week, even to those who are the hardest to love, that your name would be glorified. Amen.